Welcome to episode 282 of Live Happy Now. This is Paula Phelps, and this week we're going to learn a little bit about how to make better decisions. We make decisions every day, but how often do you really think about the process that goes into making those choices? Today's guest has built her life on making the right decisions. Annie Duke is a former professional poker player who won more than $4 million in tournament poker before retiring in 2012. But she also studied cognitive psychology, is a best-selling author, and a consultant on decision-making. Her new book, How to Decide, picks up where her last book, Thinking in Bets, left off. And today, she's here to talk about how to find better outcomes by changing the way we make our decisions. Annie, thank you so much for coming on Live Happy Now. Thank you for having me. I'm excited that we finally made this happen. I know it's been a long time in the making. Yes, I've wanted to talk to you since your last book. So this is really exciting for me to be able to talk with you. And I wanted to find out, first of all, like why you wanted to write this book and why now was the right time for you to do that. It's actually funny because it's something that I've kind of been clarifying in my own head, as I've been kind of talking about the book, you know, what was the relationship? Because it started off in one place and it kind of ended in another. The place it started off was, obviously, I have a lot of readers of Thinking in Bets. And Thinking in Bets is really what I would say, uh, like a sort of big idea argument for really embracing uncertainty, for recognizing how much uncertainty there is in the way that outcomes and decision quality in particular, related to each other and how that can wreak some havoc in the way that you process information and the way that you make decisions and that perhaps we should be doing something about that. And then there was like a little, you know, there was some at the end about how you might fix those things, but it was more a why book. And I was having conversations with my readers and a lot of them were asking me how. I just sort of realized from that that I hadn't spent enough time on the how part. And that's really what I wanted to do with this book was really spend a lot of time on the how part. In particular, I was thinking about how do I write a book that is going to engage people who've read Thinking in Bats and not be a retread, going to go over new materials and new processes and new ways of of thinking about your own decisions. But it's also going to be really understanding to people who haven't read that book. I was going through a narrow alley there trying to <laughs> satisfy both of those audiences. I, I hope that I've done a good job. I was certainly yeah, you, trying to do a good job. but you did an excellent job with that because it does. You can see it as an extension of Thinking in Bets or it, it's a great introduction. Like I can see picking this up and going through it and then saying, all right, I want to go now and discover Thinking in Bets and hear about the why. It goes into a lot of new places. Like, for example, a, a topic that I didn't talk at all about one bit in thinking in bets was how you might overcome an inability to decide when you have analysis paralysis and and how you can really think about your decisions in order to really speed them up. What are the frameworks that would help you to do that? What would be the tools that would help you to do that so that you can actually get out of that analysis paralysis that a lot of us kind of get sucked down into. And I feel like that problem in particular becomes greater the more uncertainty there is. And obviously right now we're living in this really uncertain time. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing from people right now is they're really having trouble making decisions in this environment. I'm hoping this book is going to come at the perfect time for that. I mean, obviously I didn't anticipate this. It's not something that I foresaw, obviously, but I think that the point is that, that what I talk about is really when, when things are uncertain, 
And the point that I make is, which is all the time. Here's how you can think about your decisions. And in particular, like here's one of the ways that you can make really good quality decisions, but still go fast, even though you're not 100% of the way there on like being sure that you have the right choice. And I feel like that's a skill, like overcoming analysis paralysis is a skill that is particularly needed in these situations when I think a lot of people feel paralyzed by what's going on right now in terms of their own decision-making. So I'm, I'm hoping it's going to hit at a good time to be helpful for people. Well, it really does because that's one thing that struck me about it as I was getting ready for this interview because you really do talk about the need to embrace uncertainty. And the fact is, as you make the point, things are always uncertain, but we just think otherwise. <laughs> we think that we know what's going on, but now we have to face the fact that everything is uncertain. But as we embrace this uncertainty, how does that make us able to be decisive? I had this really interesting thing happen. Somebody actually, after reading Thinking and Bets, Tim Harford, who's somebody who I really, really respect, he writes for the Financial Times and he's really generally in this space, wrote a piece that really opened my eyes to something that I think was an error on my part. I don't think it, I know it was an error on my part. And I was very grateful that he kind of exposed this error to me, which was after reading Thinking and Bets, you could come away with the impression that I think that you're supposed to really slow your decision-making down and take a lot of time with process and exploring different options and that you're supposed to go slow. And I was a little, you know, I was a little horrified, but I realized in retrospect, like, oh, I totally understand why he read it that way. And I think a lot of people have, have read that work that way. And that's completely on me because of course, I'm a poker player. That's what I used to do, where you have to make decisions in 30 seconds. The whole job is to figure out how can I make really good decisions while going really fast and still being really uncertain. And I feel like that was a piece of the puzzle that I hadn't communicated very well. So the way that I, I think about how embracing uncertainty really can speed your decisions up is like this. When you first, and this is an analogy actually that another podcast host offered to me. So I don't want to take credit for the analogy, but I think the analogy is quite apt. When you first start to drive a car, you have to be really slow. You have to figure out where's the gas, where's the brake. You have to think really hard about acceleration or braking or how far away from the car in front of you you have to be. And it's a pretty deliberative process as you kind of really understand in a very deliberative way, what does good driving look like? And that is a necessary step to be able to do what we all do, which is like you're talking, you know, on your phone and you're listening to the radio and, you know, all things that you would have been able to do when you first started driving. And, you know, when a deer jumps out in front of you, you know exactly what to do and you instinctively know how far to follow the car in front of you. And I think about decision-making very similarly that you need to know what a really good, robust, full head-on version of decision-making would look like in order to know when you can skinny it down. And what the skinning it down does is it basically says, look, the whole thing that's slowing you down is that you think you're supposed to be 100% sure, at least 90% sure before you make a decision. And I think part of that is that you want to be really sure because we do this little tiny bit of time traveling where we imagine the decision hasn't worked out and we're really sad. And when we've all experienced that when something doesn't work out, what's the first thing that we say? Oh, I should have thought about it more. Mm -hmm. I should have taken more time. I should have, you know, right? All of these woulda, shouldas about like, why didn't I think about it more? Why didn't I talk to more people? Why didn't I get more advice? And I think that defensively in advance of a decision, we can get into that mindset where we want to gather as much information as we can so that we can get to 90% 
before we actually make the decision to kind of fend off this idea that the decision might work out poorly. And particularly like in this world where the internet is at your fingertips and you can see like every TripAdvisor or every Yelp review or every Reddit giving you advice or whatever it might be. I think it's really easy to get sort of sucked down into that idea that if I just have more information, I could get to 90%. What embracing uncertainty does is it gets you comfortable with the idea that you're never going to know everything you need to know. And there's a lot of luck in the way that things turn out. So it's perfectly fine to make a decision when you're kind of 60% on it. It's just that you need to kind of know what type of decision you're facing. Is it one that's going to have a really huge impact if it doesn't work out? Or is it one that's not? Is it one that if you choose something that where you don't really like the result, you can unwind it really quickly and you can go and stop what you're doing and quit and go do something else? Or is it one that's going to be much more permanent? And once we kind of understand those things, along with this idea that, look, 90% certainty is a total illusion and you're always going to be making decisions without all the information you need and without having a time machine knowing how it's going to turn out. So you should really get comfortable with that and start thinking about what type of decision I'm facing. If that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So how do you determine, you know, is this, because you talk about deciding fast, when to decide slow, when to decide in advance. How do you unpack that? Because we're not, I don't think most of us have really thought that much about the process of making decisions, the psychology of it. We just, we know we have to make a decision and these are the things I should factor in. But in terms of the timing, I had really never thought of that until you brought that up. Yes. So let's think about slow versus fast first. And then you just brought up something else, which is a little bit in a different category, but a really fun one to explore, which is when to decide in advance. So let's take that one afterwards. Okay. But the slow fast, The slow fast basically is understand what type of decision that you're facing. So here's the first thing to think about. If it turns out badly, how much of an impact is it going to have on me reaching my goals? So one of the tools that I offer in the book is called the happiness test, because I think that happiness broadly is, is like a pretty good proxy for how well you're achieving your goals. We tend to be happier when we achieve our goals. So I'll just do like the thought experiment with you, right? Back in the before times when you would go to a restaurant, let's say that you were trying to decide and you were trying to decide between like a chicken dish and a fish dish and you chose the chicken and it turned out to be really yucky. It was dry and ooky and you were sad because it was a a gross meal, right? So (laughs) I'm saying it worked out badly. So if I see you in a year, here's my question for you. Do you think how good that chicken was a year ago, how much of an effect do you think that would have on your happiness when I see you a year later? Right. If if we're still talking about it a year later, there's not much going on in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It completely doesn't have any impact, Paula, at all. And in fact, I'm guessing that if I saw you in a month, you'd give me the same answer that like what you ate on that random Tuesday a month ago, probably I'm guessing it didn't have very much effect on your happiness over the course of a month. And likely not a year. I mean, likely not even a week. So this is actually a really good way to get out of analysis paralysis because what this is getting at is what is the impact of the decision that I'm making? Is this something that's really going to have a big impact on on my overall happiness, on my ability to reach my goals? And once you do that, you realize even if it turns out really badly, it doesn't really matter. So I should just save my time because time is like this incredibly valuable resource. And for every minute that we spend trying to make a decision that's more accurate, 
we're giving up a minute of our lives. If you're in a restaurant, all that time you're agonizing over the menu is time you could be like talking to the people that you're actually at the restaurant with. So, which might be more fun and might be more valuable and likely would actually have a significant impact on your happiness because we know that those social connections really matter. So the happiness test is a really good way when you're feeling analysis paralysis to just explore, do I really care if it works out badly? Because if you don't really care it works out badly, then you can go really fast. I love that. That's a, um, man, that is so a that's great a, tool to have. Oh, I'm so happy that you like that one. And by the way, along those lines is another thing that you can do, which is to think about, does this choice repeat for me? So this would be generally like, what do you watch on TV or what do you want to read as a book or what do you want to eat in a restaurant? When you're going to get another crack at it really quickly, you can also go faster because when I order that food in the restaurant, it actually tells me something about the kinds of things I like. It's actually going to improve my decisions going forward. Every time I order in a restaurant, it helps me to build a better model of the kinds of things that I like to eat. As we make more of those decisions, presumably our decisions can get better. That means that speed can really be helpful because it helps you to get better at those decisions quickly. One of the things that allows you to go fast then is when you get to make the decision again, like super fast. So what I choose for breakfast could go well or poorly, but I get to choose something for lunch and I get to choose something for dinner. It's the same thing with like picking something on television or what to wear or a variety of things, right? There's picking classes at college. Mm -hmm. These are things where you get lots and lots and lots of cracks at the decision. So when the decision is a repeating one, you can also go much faster because you're going to get another try. Right. So it's like, if I mess this one up, it's no problem. (laughs) I'll just- Right. Because I'm going to get another shot at it, right? Yeah. That would generally be in kind of what we call the impact category. The other thing that we can think about, this goes in the kind of optionality category, has to do with two things. One is, can I quit the thing that I chose? Because, you know, we hear a lot about like stick-to-itiveness, mm-hmm. but quit-to-itiveness is actually an incredibly important concept, right? When we figure out that something isn't going the way that we were hoping, we want to be able to quit it really quickly. And so kind of the more quittable something is, the faster you can go. So a simple way to think about that is like renting is more quittable than buying. So you don't need to take as much time deciding what apartment to rent as you would deciding what apartment to buy because renting is like much easier to unwind. You can think about like dating versus marrying, right? Like we don't have to take as much time deciding who to go on a date with as we would take time deciding who to marry. So you can start to think about decisions through the lens of of how quittable are they? And it actually allows you to speed things up. So one of the examples I give in the book is that when you start to think about the world this way, what you realize is that there's decisions that you actually don't think about as quittable that when you start to think about how quittuitive you can be with them, you find out, oh, actually, I can reverse it pretty well. So for example, what college to apply to, which is obviously a really high impact decision, it doesn't pass the happiness test at all. In a year, what college I choose is actually going to really have a big effect on my happiness. We know it's not going to pass the happiness test, but it does actually pass the quitting test because like 37% of people, I I think that's the right number, 37% of people who go to a college transfer after the first year. So we know that you have this transfer option. And once you sort of realize, oh, okay, if I don't like it, I could actually transfer. And yes, there's a cost to transferring, but it is at least available to me as an option. It helps relieve some of that pressure on the decision. You know, when I listen to you, it's like, 
boy, we don't know how to make good decisions. I mean, we don't know the process. We might luckily make the good decision. It's like, this is not something we put this kind of thought into normally. I think the reason why is just, it's really simple. You've walked your whole life from the time I assume you were somewhere around a year old. So have you ever really examined your walking process? <laughs> right. Like, are you ever looking to say, hey, am I good at walking? No, because <laughs> you're doing it. My intuition is it's the same with decisions. Decisions, you start little tiny babies. Like as soon as they come out of the womb, they're making decisions. They're not in the same way that an adult is making a decision. But certainly, you know, by the time a child is one, they're making real decisions, things that we would consider to be real decisions. It's something you've kind of just been doing your whole life. I put it in sort of the category of walking. We just kind of think, well, I've been doing that my whole life, so obviously I'm good at it. And we don't really open it up to examination to think about, am I actually doing this in a way that's actually going to produce the highest probability that I'm going to end up living the life that I want to live? And I think it's a real shame because I say in the book, there's only two things that determine how your life turns out. It's the quality of your decisions and luck. And I hate to tell you this, but you don't make your own luck. Luck is something that you don't have control over. What you do is you make a decision that has a higher or lower probability of working out in a way that you'd like, that has a higher or lower, lower probability of advancing your, you toward your goals or causing you to lose ground. The single thing that you can be doing you know, is examining the quality of your decisions because I can't control like when I was born or who my parents were or where I was born or whether I'm tall or short, or that's all out of my control. I can't control like geopolitics. I don't have any control over what Vladimir Putin does, but I do have some control over my own decisions. So the fact that we sort of intuitively all think, well, I'm pretty good at that thing, just because we've been doing our whole life, I think is a, is a shame that people aren't examining this more because it can really, I mean, this has a really deep impact on what your outcomes are. It's the only thing that has an impact on what your outcomes are that you have any type of control over. Yeah, and I think how does just becoming aware of how much control we have over our decisions, how does that change us? Will that in itself kind of jumpstart us into rethinking the way we're choosing? Yeah, so you know, it's, it's pretty interesting on that. Being aware of the different types of thinking traps that might exist doesn't on its own make you a better decision maker. But that being said, I think it's incredibly helpful because I think that once that kind of veil is pierced for you, that you're super rational and that you think about everything objectively and that you have lots and lots of control over the way that any given decision that you make is going to turn out. Once you sort of let go of all of that stuff and you become aware of a lot of the stuff you know, about cognitive bias, like if you've read a book like Thinking Fast and Slow from Daniel Kahneman, which certainly pierces the illusion that we're all like super rational beings who are amazing <laughs> decision makers. I think that it spurs you to go look for help. It's like you have to know that something's wrong for you to go try to fix it. So I think that in that sense, it is actually really helpful because it will motivate you to say, well, what are the things that I can be doing in order to actually do this better? And to go seek out advice on how you might become a better decision maker. And, and hopefully my book is filling in a little bit of that space of something that I think is written in hopefully pretty plain language. This is, not, this is not in any way super academic what I've written. It's informed, it's deeply informed by academics. I don't want people to get the impression that it's not driven by science. It is. You know, I think it's a great contribution to this year as well. It would have been wonderful anytime, but particularly now, I think it's really helpful. And as I let you go, 
Can you tell us, um, we'll, when I come back, I'm going to tell everyone how they can get a copy of your book. We're going to give them a free chapter that they can download right from our site. So we'll tell them more about you and where they can learn more. But as they're sitting in their car at home listening to this, what is it that they can do today to start making better decisions? Oh, gosh. So I'll tell you what. I think that the single most important thing that a person can do that will help them make decisions is that when they go and ask for somebody's advice, because I think that other people are so important in your own decision process because they can offer you different perspectives, right? Like we really want the feedback of other people. But here's the number one thing that you could do that would make your decision making better today. It is when you ask for somebody's advice, do not tell them what you think first. Let me just kind of walk you through this for a second, Paula. So it's just generally true of human beings that when you're talking to other people who you're socially connected to, that agreement feels really good. And we tend to communicate in a way that will make it appear that there's much more agreement than there actually is. Some of that is a little bit on purpose where like if you're at a cocktail party and someone says something you disagree with, you're probably not going to be like super forward in terms of aggressively disagreeing with them, right? (laughs) It would be kind of weird to do that. I mean, here's a really good example. You know, if you're sitting and talking to a friend of yours and they're talking about their last 10 dates and how their last 10 dates were with total jerks, I'm guessing that anybody listening to that conversation would have something along the lines of these thoughts. Maybe you're picking jerks. In your head, you're thinking this. I'm saying, I'm not saying you're saying this out loud. Maybe you're picking jerks or you might think, I wonder if my friend, when they're on dates, acts in a way that makes people kind of act like jerks. You're going to have these things go through your head. But Paula, are you saying that out loud to your friend? No. And what's hilarious is we've had this conversation in our house with a friend. <laughs> we're like, what is it? What's going on? So that's hilarious. That right. That's an analogy. Right. But we're, and the thing is that like, obviously it's sort of like we're trying to be kind, right? Like mm-hmm. I totally understand that we're trying to be kind here. So you can see how you can have thoughts that are like different than what your friend is saying and you don't necessarily offer them up. But the thing is that your friend would actually be really helped by having your perspective in an ideal world. Your friend would be helped by having your perspective. I'm, I'm not saying that you should be brutally honest with everybody around you. I'm just <laughs> saying like, if your friend was open to it, it right. would be helpful if you said like, let's try to figure out if you're picking jerks. So now what you want, don't want to be is the friend. You don't want to be the person who's saying, I'm just picking jerks and not have people offer you the feedback. But a lot of that is on you in terms of the way that you express yourself to other people. So let me ask you this, Paula. Simple question. If I were asking for your feedback on something, whether it's like who to hire or should I go on a second date with this person or what do you think of this sales strategy or tactic or even if it's something like, I don't know whether I should send my child to physical school or keep them online right now, right? Like we have a lot of those types of decisions right now. Do you think it's safe for me to play tennis indoors? We can go through, I mean, any decision. So if I were to seek your feedback on that, what is the thing that you would have to know from me? What would I have to say for you to know that your opinion disagreed with mine? You don't think it's okay to play tennis inside right now, do you? There you go. That's exactly right. So once that is said, if I'm someone who does think it's safe to play tennis indoors, I would now have to disagree with you. 
So let me say for the record, I'm not playing tennis indoors right now. I just, I made that decision for myself. But if I were still exploring that decision and I said to you, hey, Paula, I'm trying to figure out if it's safe to play tennis indoors. I think it's okay, but I'd really like your feedback, your advice. What do you think? Now I've put you in a really bad position, right? If you don't think it's safe to play tennis indoors, you now have to disagree with me. So if I really want to get your opinion on whether it's safe to play tennis indoors, what I need to do is say it this way. I'm trying to figure out whether tennis indoors is safe in the fall. What do you think? Literally, period. Yeah, learning to be neutral. Yeah, so you have to do it intentionally because nobody does it naturally. Think about it. Think about the interactions you have. I read this really interesting op-ed today, and then I'll tell you a dissertation. I'll be like, I really thought, like, I thought it was a really interesting perspective, but like, I'm a little worried because I think that the author was like maybe cherry picking some data and it felt like they were getting their own bias into it. But I'd like you to read it and tell me what you think. Isn't that the way it normally goes? Yeah. Yeah. It's completely set up. So it's like, I know I'm going to walk down this path and think this way as I do this. That's true. Right. Think about your friend who's dating the jerks, right? They don't say, hey, I'd really like your help. My last 10 dates have been with jerks. I want to figure out why. They don't say that. They say, I can't believe every person in the world is such a jerk. And every time I go out on a date, like the dating world is so awful. And all I do is find jerks. Well, okay. So now you know what their opinion is, right? Like they've wrapped it into what they've said. Even when it comes to leadership in a company, I'm thinking about this particular strategic plan. Here are the two different options we have. I really prefer the first one. I'd like everybody's opinion. What employee is going to go up against that? Right. That's so a tough like, one. this is literally the simplest thing you can do. Like if I had to give one piece of advice to people, this would be it. That when you're soliciting someone's opinion, don't offer your own. Just say, hey, did you watch Perry Mason? If the answer is yes, say, what'd you think of it? I love that. What a great way to finally get the honest answer. So that's the thing is that it really does give you a way to find out when people think something different than you do. And when we talk about uncertainty, what we know is that as we form beliefs, as we're thinking about the world, that we're always doing it without all the information we need because we're not omniscient. So if we know that we're forming beliefs and perspectives, our own perspectives with imperfect information and also biased by the things that we'd like to be true of the world, it's really incredibly helpful to collide with someone who has a different perspective, who might have different information than what you have. And to have really healthy conversations around that, to seek to expose that, and then to be curious, to approach their ideas with curiosity, to get them to convey why they believe what they do instead of you trying to convince them to your side. And I know this sounds really odd in today's social media environment and today's political world where everything is around convincing everybody that you're right and certifying the beliefs that you already have and or seeking out only people who agree with you. But none of that is good for decision-making. And if you can think about how can I really live in the discomfort of uncertainty and be really eager and curious to find out when people have a different perspective than I do and then really explore that perspective, that's actually going to really help my decisions because it's going to gain me more information when I'm trying to actually make a choice. Well, Annie, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Really am excited about this book and excited about what we can learn and how we can all start making better decisions before November. Come on, people, let's do that before November. Read my book before November. Please. Yeah, that would be helpful to start thinking about decisions. That would be really good. 
That was Annie Duke, author of How to Decide. To learn more about Annie, order her book, or download a free chapter, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That's all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.